horse riding, smoking a fag. Yeah, don't go horse riding. Welcome to What A Way To Go, a podcast about unusual deaths, near misses and bizarre stories with your hosts Claire Daly, Eleanor the Gamer and Sarah Austin. We are now on episode 11. We've all got World Cup fever. <laughs> no, <laughs> we haven't. <laughs> no, we, we categorically haven't. I got Spain in my sweepstake. Did Mate. you? Yeah. They sacked their manager yesterday, though, didn't they? Did they? Did yeah, they? they did. Mate. <laughs> Who are you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even, I wasn't even allowed Sorry, to get involved in my work. My work sweepstake, they did it around my table when I, did, I wasn't allowed to do it. Why? Oh, freelancer rules, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> bullshit. It's fine. Money. I don't want to fucking play anyway. Spain, though. Um, and oh, two thirds of our um, <clears throat> husbands and boyfriends are doing the Panini sticker album, which got absolutely rinsed at lunch at work today. Did it? Being like, why would you do it? They're adults. It costs like a thousand pounds to complete. Fuck. It only costs a thousand pounds. I mean, I'm not sticking up for it. I do like the shiny ones. Um, <laughs> it costs a thousand pounds if you buy them all. So swaps matter a lot. Is Swap, what I'm saying. Swaps is got got need. Got got need. Hashtag got got need. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, yeah, fine. I mean, everyone's an adult. They can do whatever they want. Well, if exactly. they want to do a sticker book, they can do a sticker. Yeah, book. they can fucking do what they want. And I find it useful to work out which teams I fancy the most. Turns out Denmark. Most that of the players sense, I think, aren't Denmark. in the actual squads though, which is that's the frustrating thing. They really? they do it so far in advance oh, yeah. that it's before the squads are announced. True, true. So Denmark are playing on Saturday. Are they? Yeah, I'll be tuning in. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to Iceland being back in with their big clap thing, their big hoo, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, that was I good. Feel like I like that. Iceland might be my unofficial support. So like England because we're English, even though they'll be shit, I assume. Spain, because I got them in the sweepstake. Iceland, because Iceland seems Lance. like a lovely country. Yeah. Fine. Fair play. Um, yeah. Fine. I don't care. <laughs> Do you not like it at all? No, I'll watch a thing. I'll watch a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll watch a call it. Uh, uh, I'll watch a match. match. <laughs> Fine. I'll watch a telly. Oh. Um, <laughs> but no, I just don't care. I just... Um, just don't care. <laughs> I fine. just don't care. There's, there's no two ways about it. No, no it's that's fine. fine. I have to say, like considering I'm married to a man who couldn't love football more. So, same. I'm not married. <laughs> My boyfriend loves football. Yeah, and the one time when I can really feel football fever is watching England play in a World Cup. In the I pub. think like that is pretty good. I think mm. that's it's a universal thing, isn't it? Like even if you hate football, you can get you can get on board with a World Cup. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. And you hope that I they really know. No, and you can stay on board it if they get quite far. I mm. mean, yeah, they could do. Well. I mean, I mean, literally, who knows? Gareth Southgate's all right, apparently. Well, I watched the news this morning and. One of the Nevilles, maybe, was talking about how good Gareth Southgate's been. Mm. Why are we talking about football? This is not <laughs> what the podcast sorry. is about. All right, sorry, scrap that. You can skip it. Skip and are they playing this weekend? They might be out by the time this goes no, out. So. The first game's on Monday. Oh, right, oh, right yeah. Why? The three the three of them are watching it together. The, yeah. the Habs. The Habs, the Habs, the Habs. The Habs. Anyway, All right, anyway. this is a podcast about death, not football. I don't know if that was clear enough. Uh... I'll post some pictures of the Danish squad on Instagram. <laughs> just FYI, just you know, just in case. Some people are interested. into it. I might be into it. We'll have a look. Um, but now over to death. Mm-hmm. And Els goes first. Els goes first this week. Okay. What are we saying? Um, oh, can we just say also, we're all drinking fizzy red wine. Lambrisco. Yeah, it's um, new. Given uh, to us by my friend Nelly. And, oh, and, and her boyfriend Pete, who works at Provisions, which is a wine and cheese shop in London. So feel free to go there. Fancy. Free advertising for Provisions. Provisions. Um, yeah. So delicious. depending on how um, incoherent we get towards the end of this hour, either buy it or don't. Let's, yeah. Let's let you know. Last time I drank red wine and we did the podcast, I sounded like an absolute dickhead so fingers crossed you really didn't episode three is my favorite episode my my least favorite anyway we've had this maybe that's why it's my favorite (laughs) (laughs) you sound like a twat (laughs) okay oh wait have you seen that i've updated the twitter header on our twitter as well what is it snake (laughs) (laughs) you're just out to get me yeah i was gonna be a robot or snake last week you told me not to come oh yeah you're just coming at me with all my fears sorry sorry love such an anxious person it's not hard okay um now then yeah mine's a bit of a bummer okay 
Mine's not about. I mean, mine's about death, but mine's not too bummery. So. Okay, that's fine. I feel like if at least one is slightly more lighthearted, we're okay. Uh, mine is the story of the Wild Sisters. So I'm intrigued. My my attention is captured. Great. Hopefully, I can sustain it. <laughs> You're in a room, anyway. So well, I'm not. I can't. I'm literally like tied to a wire. But anyway, anyway, go ahead. The Wild Sisters. So, on the evening of October the 31st, or uh, Halloween, as it's preferred to be called, spooky goings-on, a man by the name of Andrew Reid held a ball at the Jamarcan house in Ireland. Two of the guests that were in attendance were Emily and Mary Wilde. They were the illegitimate daughters of William Wilde, and they were the half-sisters of Oscar Wilde. Oh. And that's what I thought when Matt bought that book in. So, uh, listeners, my mic stand, because I'm freakishly tall, I've got a freakishly <laughs> long back, something about my proportions. Anyway, I'm not a T Rex. <laughs> I have to increase the height of my mic stand. And it has increased very um, thoroughly and well by a giant Oscar Wilde complete works tome. So I'm going to look at him right now and yeah, fitting. find out about his half-sisters. About his half-sisters, yeah. Um, so they were attending this party. Um, they had been sent to stay with a relative in Drumsnat, County Monaghan, I think. Sure. Because they were the illegitimate daughters, so sort of not. Mm-hmm. 1871. Did I say that? It was, yeah, it's, yeah, it's 1871. I guess being it wasn't sent the done to thing to have illegitimate children, children living with yeah. you. So they were in their early 20s. Um, One was 22 and one was 24. I did mean to look that up, but I didn't. Sorry. They had been an instant hit in the parish when they'd arrived, so this ball had been thrown in their honour to welcome them. Uh, Both the women were wearing one of the most fashionable trends of the time, a crinoline underskirt. Oh. So a crinoline underskirt um, creates that kind of puffed-out silhouette that's quite synonymous with that Mm -hmm. sort of 19th century look. The ladies all... Loved it. And, yeah, so it would be worn as an underskirt just to kind of achieve that puffed out mm-hmm. aesthetic. Is that the kind of puffed out <laughs> sort of like it's out at the sides and the bum kind of thing? Yeah, so kind of like nipped in at the waist yeah. and then, and then yep. out puffy skirt. I don't think like, you know, like the super, super puffed like hips not and like, ass. Uh, not like Queen Elizabeth. No, so I think that was a bit earlier. This Got was it. maybe a little bit more floatier, but still like a, mm-hmm. you know, an hourglass, your, your classic hourglass figure sure. Lou holder yeah <laughs> yeah very much like a Lou holder or a really horrible wedding dress <laughs> bit of both the name crinoline was due to the material uh being a blend of now i've written crime here but i don't think that's right <laughs> no i think i meant to write crin or crine i assume crin uh which was a stiff but pliant material made from horsehair um and linen that's what it was. <clears throat> Crinoline was also responsible for claiming the lives of more than 3,000 women in Britain and Ireland. What? Due to it being highly flammable. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. Horsehair. Yeah. Is yeah. it known to be very flammable? Well, yes, yeah, it's, it's flammable. Horsehair. We don't use it anymore, do we? No. I'm pretty sure there's like plaster in my house that's made of horsehair. Oh, God. Mm. Yeah, that that's a common thing in old houses I think yeah uh oh don't light any candles don't but don't set fire to your house don't set fire to my house please no one else do (laughs) (laughs) no one knows where you live it's fine I mean we do (laughs) (laughs) fucking hell um don't go horse riding smoking a fag yeah don't go horse riding and don't smoke fags (laughs) neither do it at the same time either just some advice friendly advice okay this party Emily and Mary Wilde are in attendance. They're both wearing crinoline underskirts because they were high fashion, as I assume many other of the women were there. At the end of the evening, the host, Andrew Reid, requested one last dance with Emily. He waltzed her across the floor, past a fireplace where the embers of the evening's fire were dying out. As she passed the fire, her crinoline underskirts caught some of the embers and immediately set alight. The, the flames kind of immediately just overtook her and 
in seeing this, her sister ran to assist her straight away and her skirts caught fire oh as well. Oh, my God. What happened next is kind of of differing opinions. There's eyewitness accounts for, let's say, two different things. Some people report that Andrew Reid quickly came to the aid of the sisters, wrapped them in his coat and took them out so that they could roll in the snow. But was there snow on the ground in late October in Ireland? I think that's been disputed, so possibly that's not what happened. That was his version of events. Quite possibly. Just There was snow. It was definitely snow. <laughs> Just roll around on the ground in general. Yeah. That puts out a fire. Other people say that the sisters sort of stumbled because they were panicking and they fell down some steps and onlookers tried to throw water onto them. They did put the fire out, but unfortunately the attempts to save them were in vain. So the sisters were severely burnt uh, and they were cared for in the immediate aftermath of the accident, but they didn't survive for very long. Mary succumbed to her injuries on November the 8th and Emily lived for three weeks, but she finally passed away on November the 21st. Oh... Their father, William Wilde, who was Oscar Wilde's father, he didn't want to bring shame onto the family name due to the illegitimacy of both the women, so he kind of hastily covered up the deaths. So he requested that the sisters' names were reported as Wiley as opposed to Wilde. So any reports of them... I think it was a Miss L. Wiley and a Miss M. Wiley, so you couldn't put the two and two together. Mm. However, he did attend the funeral and there were reports that he his mourning could be heard by people outside his house. So he was really affected by their death. Um, they're buried in St. Malua's Church in Drumsnat, which is where they were staying. They've got one headstone and it reads, they were lovely and pleasant in their lives and in their deaths they were not divided. Aww. Um, and they are Oscar Wilde's illegitimate half-sisters, but it's not known whether he knew about their existence because mm. he had another sister who was his full sister who died when she was 10 and he was 12. And I think that death really affected him. Mm. Um, but there's not a lot of mention of these other two sisters, so I think it's unlikely that he knew about Never them. Never knew. No. So that's the quite sad mm. fate of the wild sisters. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Bummer to start with. Yeah. Do you know what story I thought you were going to do? just because it's a story about sisters, about those two Swedish girls that run into the front oh my of traffic God. in that police. Oh, yeah. Fully so adult. good. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah, I've seen the footage. Yeah, it's, it's mad. It's nuts. Fucking yeah. crazy. <clears throat> it's absolutely ridiculous. What the hell was going on there? Well, they were unfortunately mental. Yeah. But it is weird that they both, both but then that's the, at the that, same time. I think that's the thing about twins, isn't it, that they do have that connection that... Mm you know, uh, language between themselves. What's the thing when you talk to you without talking? Telekinesis. Telekinesis. Um, for listeners, this is Ursula and Sabina Eriksson that we're talking about. And basically, uh, they happened to be captured on a British kind of like motorway cops TV show. Which is the best kind of show you can Yeah, watch. exactly. So it's just kind of like people doing dangerous driving, but they happen to be filming when these two sisters effectively totally lost it by the side of the road and start, start on a motorway on a motorway and started darting into traffic and it is fucking crazy and they survived it yeah, yeah they it's, did it's yeah. all on it's all on youtube yeah so. but it's just crazy um the reason that i did this story is because i didn't really know what to do and i was a little bit last minute this week as ever but yesterday i was reading time out and uh there was an interview with is it rupert everett yeah, he's yeah. the new Oscar Wilde film. And he's oh, in the new yeah. Oscar Wilde film. And it mentioned he mentioned about uh, he had two sisters who died in front of a fire. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. So I kind of looked into it. Thanks, Rupert Everett. Yeah. I so wonder I what the dresses quite... look like. Banging. Probably. <laughs> Maybe. Um, I'll try and find a picture. Pop it. Well, yeah, you're going to have to, aren't you? Because of Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Because of Instagram. <laughs> Poor Wilde sisters. Yeah, I know. All wily. But no, definitely wild. Um, and I wonder, do you know what I was thinking about when you were talking about them rolling in the snow? Mm. And in my mind, if it's like stiff material that's kind of keeping your skirt out, when you roll on it, it's like you're going to be kind of lying in one end of it and it's not pressed. So the, the whole reason rolling works is because it like 
starves the yeah, um, starves it of oxygen, right? Yeah. But if if it's like a big stiff thing that you're rolling around in and it's always kind of off the ground, I you're wonder not. if that wouldn't never have worked. Yeah, even quite if they possibly. tried. I think, by all accounts, it was unlikely to have been that snowy at that time anyway. Well, yeah, so I, I mean, but, was... you know, snow or no snow. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> Am I right, guys? Snow or no snow? Yeah, I imagine that it's not the easiest thing to stop. It sounds like once it goes, it, well, it it's goes. Especially flammable as well, which would have happened so much quicker than anticipated. So yeah. it would have been really hard to stop. Yeah. I'm glad we don't wear horsehair underwear. Christ, horse yeah. hair underwear that sounds a bit like the <laughs> Simpsons <laughs> everything's related to the Simpsons in my mind Mr Burns when he makes oh yeah shoes out of see my vest see my vest yeah mm. oh the shit that we had to wear like <laughs> 150 years ago how did we get anything so done? many garments we did kind of like sewn mm. in and then you have a bath once a week oh, if that God. Yeah. what a pain in the ass. Mm. Thank God we don't have to wear that anymore and dance near fires, get waltzed across a room by the host of a party who doesn't want you to go. I know Poor you're gay, man, Drew Reed. No, he might be lovely, I don't know. <laughs> Stop slagging him off, Jesus. He might have been fine. Christ. Oh, that's sad, though. Mm. Good story. Thanks. Go on, Daily. Hit me. Sarah Austin, what is your story? <laughs> you sound like a receptionist in the 50s. <laughs> I'll put you through. Um, we were talking about sport. Ironically, and I've mentioned it, my knowledge of sport, most sports, is pitiful. But my knowledge about baseball is probably even worse. (laughs) I know fuck all about it. But today, I'm going to tell you the sad story about Ray Chapman, the first and only man to be killed by a baseball. (gasps) Chapman was born in Beaver Dam, Kentucky, and raised in Illinois. He broke into the major leagues in 1912 with the Cleveland team, which was then known as the Naps. I don't know. Fine. Um, <clears throat> and it says, it's noted that he was a top-notch bunter. What does that mean? <laughs> so obviously, because I'm a big fan of baseball, <laughs> I didn't Google it. It's um, A bunt is a special type of offensive technique in baseball. In a bunt play, the batter loosely holds the bat in front of the plate and intentionally taps the ball into play. So, we all know that now. We're all wiser for it. But that's what he was good at, and he had a couple of like good scores and stuff. Nice one. So, from 1912 to about 1920, he was um, a baseball player. And then in 1920, it was potentially going to be his last year as a pro baseball player. Um, like widely reported, but he hadn't officially retired yet. Shortly before the season began, he married Kathleen Daly. Ah, Daly, Daly, spelt the right way. Yeah, same, same. Sweet. Um, he was the daughter of a prominent Cleveland businessman, uh, and Chapman had indicated he was going to retire to devote himself to the family business into which he was marrying, as well as he wanted to start a family. So, um, but hadn't officially retired. So, a bit of history about baseball at the time. A bit like how in boxing they used to kind of do stuff to their gloves and like put stuff in it and make it really hard for people before it all got, you know, banned. And um, part of every pitcher's job was to dirty up a new ball the moment it was thrown onto the field. So in turn, they smeared it with dirt, licorice and tobacco juice. It was deliberately scuffed, sandpapered, scarred, cut and even spiked. The result was a misshapen, earth-coloured ball that travelled through the air erratically, Mm. tended to soften in the later innings, and as it came over the plate, was quite hard for people to see because obviously it was the colour of dirt and, you know, baseball field was quite dirty anyway. And this was the practice that is believed to have contributed to Chapman's death. He was struck in the head by a pitch by Carl Mays on August 16th, 1920, in a game against the New York Yankees. Eyewitnesses at the time said that Chapman didn't move out of the way at all as he was presumably unable to see the ball. So Rod Nelson from the Society of American Baseball Research said Chapman didn't move, he didn't react, it was at twilight and it froze him. So the sound of the ball smashing into Chapman's skull was so loud that Mays thought he had hit the end of Chapman's bat. So he fielded the ball and threw to first base. Like he hadn't realised that anything had happened. Holy fuck. Because it was... You know, it sounded like a normal pitch. First baseman Wally Pip caught Mays' throw to first and then realised something was very wrong. 
Chapman never took any step, but rather slowly collapsed to his knees oh and then to the ground with blood pouring out of his oh left God. ear. Jesus. Sorry, I said it wasn't a bummer, but it's it <laughs> not that great. Like, I've got really light hearted one. Though. It's not great. The umpire quickly called for the doctors in the stands um, to come to his aid. And then eventually Chapman was able to stand and try to walk off the field, but mumbled when he attempted to speak. Oh. As he was walking off the field, his knees buckled and he had to be assisted the rest of the way. Jesus. He was taken straight to hospital, but he died at 4.40 the next morning mm. following an operation performed by a surgical director of the institution he was taken to. He was unconscious when he arrived. The operation began at 12.29 that evening and was completed at 1.44 the following morning. The blow had caused a depressed fracture in his skull um, <clears throat> that was three and a half inches long. The doctor removed a piece of skull about an inch and a half square and found the brain had been so severely jarred that blood clots had formed. The shock of the blow had lacerated the brain, not only on the left side of the head where the ball struck, but also on the right side where the shock of the blow had forced the brain against the skull. Oh, my God. It really is a bummer. I'm really sorry for saying it was okay. We got some bad ones. (laughs) Sorry, everyone. Um, But, yeah, so they tried everything that they could surgery straight away um it was the surgical director as i said of the institution so it was like the top top notch person to do it um but unfortunately they just they couldn't save him it was such a big blow to his head um so carl mays who was the person that threw the the picture the pitch in the first place um voluntarily went before the assistant director but he was exonerated of all blame they kind of said you know we can't put any blame on you this this is how it works this Mm. is what we do it was an accident Mm. there can't be any bitterness it's not that's not what the game's about and and if he were around chapman would say that too thousands of mourners were present for his funeral um, which was held at the cathedral of st john the evangelist in cleveland um, and in tribute to his memory, Cleveland players wore black armbands. So he's buried at Lakeview Cemetery in Cleveland, Ohio, not far from where his new home was being built at the time. He and his wife had visited the home as it was being built several hours before he departed for New York on his final road trip. So it's really sad that like he was kind of setting up for his whole new life. Um, and, yeah, he obviously didn't have a very good time. So... We've spoken about that a couple of times on the podcast before, but a lot of things that happen in history are horrible instances of things resulting in death have often led to better health and safety moving forward. Mm, Um, So partially because of this death and along with sanitary concerns in general, the spit ball, so what they were doing to the ball when it was thrown, was banned after the 1920 season, so very soon after this happened, which is obviously a very good thing. but his death is also one of the examples used to emphasise the need for wearing batting helmets, which obviously mm, they now do. Of course, yeah. Yeah, they yeah, weren't yeah, wearing yeah. helmets at the time. It wasn't common. It wasn't um, essential. Um, but the rule of wearing helmets as a mandatory wasn't adopted until 30 years later. So not until the 50s did it start to become, you know, more regular. And yeah. it wasn't even commonplace until the 70s. So oh, yeah. it's actually quite sad because luckily he's the first and only person that's been killed by a baseball Um but it's quite sad that it took so long because mm. there's probably quite a lot of injuries that have happened after the fact that could have been, you know, potentially lesser if they'd had um, proper procedures in place. Jesus. Um, but he, so not long after Chapman died, a bronze plaque was designed in his honour, funded by donations from fans because he was such a well-liked baseball player. Um, it features his bust framed by a baseball diamond and flanked by two bats, one of which is draped with a fielder's mitt. Um, it has a little inscription that says, he lives in the hearts of all who knew him. It was dedicated and hung at League Park and then moved to Cleveland Stadium in 1946 when the Indians moved to that stadium, the team. Sometime in the early 1970s, it was taken down for unknown reasons. And then it was rediscovered just after the 1993 season. So for 23 years, it was just kind of in, in a box. Jim Folk, the Indians vice president of ballpark operations, said, it was in a storeroom under an escalator in a little nook and cranny. We didn't know what we were going to do with it, but there was no way it was just going to stay there when we moved to our, moved to Jacobs Field. We had created it up and put it on a moving truck and it came along with our file cabinets and all other stuff that came out of the stadium. But after the move, it was lost and forgotten once again. Mm. It just kind of got forgotten about, to be honest, he said. 
So then in nine, in 2007, workers discovered the plaque while cleaning out a storage room at Progressive Field. Covered by 13 years of dust and dirt, the bronze surface had oxidised a dark brown and the text was illegible. Um, but it was soon refurbished and made part of the Heritage Park at Progressive Field, an area that opened soon after. And it includes a Cleveland Indians Hall of Fame and other exhibits from the team's history. Chapman had previously been inducted into the Team Hall of Fame in July 2006, part of the first new induction class since 1972. So it's, I mean, obviously bittersweet that he Mm. isn't around or, you know, wasn't around for very long, but it's nice that he's still being remembered as part of the team and he's still a really big part of the history of the club. So, yeah, sorry, it was a bummer. But yeah, I thought it was a really interesting story. And actually, I found it on... The ancestry, what well, the the mention of him on the ancestry website, which Ooh. is a DNA company that my friend Bryony works for. Hi, Bryony, because she listens every week. She was listening to us in H and M while shopping last week and said that it felt like she was shopping with her friends. Ah, um, very interesting. I can't believe he's the only person that's been killed by a baseball. Matt, yeah, isn't it? I know, yeah, it's really surprising. I, it I think it was like I think it was like kind of a. A couple of different things though, like couldn't see the ball. Yeah, he was on, yeah. he wasn't on his knees, but he was like on one knee because he was low to the ground. His foot could have got mm, stuck yeah. in the gravel or whatever. So it was a kind of a couple of different things. And I think that probably after the fact, a lot of people were very aware of what happened to him and, you know, did yeah. different things. And you're right, like, I mean, even though it took 30 years, they did eventually bring in helmets. Um, it's crazy that it took 30 years. Yeah. I know. It's because they're, they're dense little. Fuckers, aren't they? Baseballs. Yeah, so yeah. It's also like um, the guy that got killed by a cricket ball as well. Do you remember it? it no. And that was he was still wearing a helmet, but it went through his <gasps> the front grate. Oh god! Um, Shit. And killed him. It was two or three years ago. It was horrible. It was yeah. really, really horrible. So, yeah. I mean, it can happen. Sports are dangerous in general, aren't they? But it's just sad that you wouldn't think. Oh, let's put something like you know robust on his head before mm. something gets thrown at it. But yeah, yeah. Especially when you're lobbing it. At- quite a speed yeah no, exactly definitely if you found him on an ancestry website does that mean he's like loosely related to you what like you found him on an ancestry website oh no sorry it was a blog post ah right yeah okay. so it was a blog piece about weird deaths because i hadn't read this ever before like we've said this before that it's quite a few different websites that we've been on this at the same time so we're worried about crossovers yeah but i'd never found that blog post before and i'd never seen this story before mm. um yeah he's not related to me i haven't actually sorry Bryony, ever done <laughs> the dna test on ancestry i'm really keen to mm. it's just that um you might nail a murderer <laughs> might nail a murderer i might be um, a murderer MG, or related to a murderer i don't want my details on there was a podcast I was listening to recently where people did an ancestry and then realised they had all been um, made by the same sperm donor. And now there's like a WhatsApp group chat of all the people that <gasps> have the same sperm donor dad. Joey Turiani. No. What? <laughs> they just all happen to be on the same podcast. No. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, after I will, the fact. I will remember I'm sure. which. What the podcast it was. I'll remember it. What I'll a remember, fucking coincidence that would be. And then we'll put it in. It would be. But, like, basically someone did their ancestry and then you get told, or maybe it's on 23andMe, you get told, like, oh, there's someone with, like, a close enough match to be your brother or your father. And this girl got, like, a ding. Mm. We've got your father, basically. And she's like, what do you mean? I've just got a dad. Like, it's not. Oh, shit. She and didn't then know. T- yeah, and then it turned out her parents induced a sperm donor. And then there's loads of them who have the same sperm donor dad. Because that's how it happens. Because you can sign up, once you do that DNA test or the whatever spit test that you do you can sign up for alerts and i think that's the yeah. whole golden state killer thing yeah, yeah yeah is that they got more and more details as more and more people put their stuff on things you can narrow things on down, the yeah. database yeah uh i will remember please do I'll, I'll listen to that oh death sex and money that's what it was oh, okay and yeah. it's a fairly recent one Mm. give it a listen mm. I think I might have seen an article about that but just didn't read it mm. I guess it makes sense if you're a sperm donor you're probably going to have fathered yeah many millions a, many a child mm. well done you well done if that's your thing Viral. fathering <laughs> fathering children. I love impregnating people without having sex don't we all <laughs> anyway Daily okay not Kathleen Daly Claire Daly do the do the test and you might be related to Kathleen Daly. Maybe you are. It's all the Irish. Is Daly Irish? The big Irish. Irish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Daly's Is it? Irish, yeah. 
Well, yeah, that could have been then. They Irish went over to America, didn't they? Exactly. I've seen The Departed. <laughs> <laughs> I know stuff. <clears throat> I liked that your mum liked one of our tweets today. Did she? Yeah. Did your mum follow us on Twitter? Does she? <coughs> I don't even know. I don't know if she follows us, but it popped up on my phone like a little heart and it said root. Finland or something is her name. <laughs> She's on holiday, busy. Loving her work in Palmer, by the way. Yeah, ridiculous. She follows so many random people that I used to work with that have never met her. And it's like she doesn't understand that when it's like suggested friends that she doesn't have to follow them. She can just swipe past. I'm glad she followed. She'd be me. terrible on Tinder. Oh, yeah. mate. Yes, oh, yeah. yeah. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Or brilliant. <laughs> brilliant, yeah. What I mean, what she's after. Not sure. Okay. So it's my go now. Yeah. I'm going to tell you about the Bushman's Cave deaths. Oh, God. God. Is this the one you mentioned last week? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to try and do it justice, but Jesus Christ. So I'm going to take you to the desert scrublands of the Northern Cape province of South Africa. It's a place called the Karoo. And there is absolutely nothing, no trees, no water for as far as you can see. Just scrubland, just desert. Christ. At one point, there's a big hollow where the ground has collapsed. So all of a sudden, there's this massive like depression in the sinkhole. earth. Sinkhole. Is it a sinkhole? Basically, yeah. Shit. I just love the sinkhole. There's a, there's a sinkhole. <laughs> yes! My, that's how my sister says it, sinkhole. Um... On the bottom, so you basically, if you go into the bottom of this depression in the earth, you're basically at the bottom of a very steep slope and you have a sheer face in front of you. And at the bottom of this sheer face is a little puddle. A teeny tiny puddle? A teeny tiny puddle. But if you move the duckweed away from the puddle, you'll notice that the puddle is totally clear, which means it's not standing water the water is filtering down to somewhere. Ugh. Ladies, you can get in the puddle. Oh, I don't want to. <laughs> don't make me. You can get into this puddle. There's a small slot that goes through. No. <laughs> I don't want to go down a slot. Slot is such a horrible <laughs> yeah, word. No. <laughs> You're getting in the puddle, okay? Fuck. You can get in the puddle. There's a small slot that goes through, which is just wide enough for a man's body to go through. Or a woman. Yeah. Yeah, fine. Um... And then after about 20 feet of going through this slot, you are now starting to enter a cave. Fuck no. Which gets wider and wider and wider. Below you is 900 feet of water. That's Bushman's Cave. 900 feet. So to give you a little perspective... How many elves? (laughs) (laughs) Well, to the whole, to hark back to our friend uh, Reichelt, if you put the Eiffel Tower mm. in Bushman's Cave, the top would only just be coming out of the water. Oh my if you, god! If you stood the Eiffel Tower on the bottom of the cave, the top would only just be coming out of the water. No, thank you. Yeah. So this is hardcore water-filled sinkhole, which makes it. Very, very popular with hardcore divers. Yeah. No, don't do that. <laughs> Nothing about that sounds good. Adrenaline junkies. Adrenaline, yeah. You know, it's barely, at that point, it's not even really for science because it's so dark that nothing really lives in there. Just some, like, eyeless albino shrimp, basically. It's what are you up to totally... diving in it, then? Because it's like... Yeah, it's like, it's, it is adrenaline junkie and... That, that is kind of it, basically. This is like... But you're going to die. You're going to die down there forever, as we'll find well, out. Yeah. <laughs> so, this story talks about... This story spans ten years. What? No! Stop going down there! Please! So so the, the hologram that they were shouting <laughs> at. <laughs> stop going down stop there! Going down there. <laughs> Fuck! So um, this is basically a, a real uh, attraction for what they call technical divers, which I imagine is some kind of very extreme divers. So this is like only the most competent people can, don't, can go down there. So for the first half of this story, I'm going to take you back to 1994. I am borderline panic attack just listening to this. <laughs> <Yeah, mate. laughs> I just don't need to brace yourself. <laughs> 
Um, so the first half of the story that I'm going to talk about is about a young man called Dion Dreyer or Dreyer. Um, I'm going to call him Dreyer. Sorry if that's wrong. Um, Dreyer is from the town of Verenig- oh God. Vereniging, about 35 miles south of Johannesburg. Um, he was 19 slash 20 at the time that we are talking about. According to his dad, he designed obscenely loud car stereos, had a passion for driving and loved adventure, things like hunting, racing a souped-up car and motorcycling. So, Dion had logged about 200 dives in 1994 when he was invited to join some South Africa Cave Diving Association divers at Bushman's Cave over the 1994 Christmas break. Basically, he was going to be taking part in a practice dive to help a team set up conditions for a deep technical dive scheduled to take place later that week. So, on... December the 17th, 1994, him and a crew go down into Bushman's Cave. When you're doing this kind of deep dive, it takes hours and hours and hours and hours. So let me just tell you a little bit about the effects that diving this deep... Please don't! <laughs> Sorry, Elle. Bye, guys. Elle needs to leave the room. So... Basically, you you know, if you're going to the bottom of, of uh, Bushman's Cave, you're 900 foot underwater and there is huge amounts of risk involved and basically every 33 feet you go down effectively doubles the risk. So at depth, so obviously you're, you're breathing out of scuba equipment, but like the composition of that scuba equipment will be... Um, super critical because at different depths you almost need different compositions of... of, uh, of air that you're intaking if you take in too much nitrogen it's kind of like a narcotic basically it can suddenly feel like you've drank five martinis in a row which is probably not right. ideal not when fun. you're like 900 feet no. underwater no. at the bottom of the Eiffel Tower when the top is the, oh, the top so much water on top of you <laughs> yeah, if you take in too much helium it can give you twitching fits if you breathe too heavily from exertion or whatever reason you just pass out under pressure, and then there is the bends. The bends, um, and basically the bends happens to you if you come out of depth too quickly. It's like opening a coke bottle once you shook it up. Your blood fizzes. Oh, oh my god! <laughs> Sorry, like this, literally like this wine. Like the fizzy wine. Great, you two have finished. I've got so. Uh, so it takes hours. So basically, when if you're diving at depth however successfully you come up it's going to take like 12 hours because you have to come up so slowly anyway so D'Andrea is on this dive in December 1994 um, they've dived down to whatever level they weren't literally going to the bottom because they were just doing like a, a recce for the team later in the week anyway at some point heading up towards the top they did a head count and Dion was gone oh, Dion God. was not there According to first-hand accounts from those diving with him, Drea was lost on ascent around 50 metres from the surface. So coming back up, he's only 50 metres. Well, mind, mind you, 50 metres is still bloody far. Um, they supposed he had probably lost consciousness either because of oxygen toxicity, which is when like too much oxygen turns you crazy. Oxygen can make you high, as we all know from Fight Club, Tyler Durden. Oh, yeah. Um, or hypercapnia induced by high work rate of breathing at depth. So this is the thing about kind of if you're exerting too much, um, carbon dioxide builds up in your blood. So anyway, he was gone. They couldn't find him. Two weeks later, the crew hired a small remotely operated submarine, which was used by the De Beers Mining Company to try and find Dion. Um, it found his dive helmet on the floor, but there was no sign of his body. Where is it? So, and bearing in mind, this could not be darker. This, not the story is pretty dark, but like the, the actual cave itself literally couldn't be darker. You might as well be on the moon. So if you go down there with a torch, all you see is like the beam of torch light and light and literally nothing else. Sorry, Elle. Elle's no, having a bad. really bad time. I know, it's bad. Christ. Sounds fucking terrible. So anyway, Dry's parents erected a plaque on the rock wall above Bushman's Cave Sometimes it's called Bushman's Hole, so I guess like the little puddle is called the hole and then the, the cave things, is, yeah. yeah. Um, so they erected a plaque. Um, the bodies of most other divers who die are generally recovered. 
Mm. Um, so it suggested that one of the reasons that his death created such an impression on the cave diving community was because of this. Um, the, pl- the plaque was a continual reminder to cave divers that his body lay within. And like it seems like the cave diving community are a fairly like tight knit bunch. Mm. And basically, well, it must be a small amount of people yeah. because there's yeah, not well, exactly. be a lot there's, of... there's only a handful of people that would have been down to these depths. Yeah. There's more people been on the moon than down to those kind of depths. Yeah. Um, so that was the end of D'Andrea. Ten years after his death. So people are still going back back down there because it's, it's, it's like people? it's like an Everest, right? For for a cave diver. Yeah, I guess so. Bushman's cave is like your Everest. Yeah. So in October 2004, there's a very renowned cave diver called David Shaw, who is diving with his pal Don Shirley and perhaps a couple of other sort of supporting team. David Shaw was also a pilot, so he liked real big heights and real <laughs> low depths. You know, whatever floats your boat, Dave, to be honest. Um, so anyway, they're diving in Bushman's Cave. Um, they are supported. So basically, when you do a big, deep vertical dive like that, you have like one big rope that's kind of going from the surface down and you you make your way very slowly down the rope and very slowly back up the rope so they're kind of staggered um down the rope and dave had kind of got to the bare floor of the cavern fuck he's fighting as i said like this is pitch black um so i don't even like going in to the bathroom at night <laughs> in the dark let alone saying? yeah i mean i can't even the idea that the only stuff anything you see is just what's in your torchlight like you literally couldn't be darker i mean i guess the good thing is there's no like unknown intruders down there well, or, well there's or dead there? bodies down there mate there's dead bodies but like if you walk around your house in the dark you're like well maybe there's a murderer just around the corner that's maybe just there's come a murderer in. down there that just happens or to live in water or something worse than a murderer what if there's some kind of hell creature that's come exactly. out of the center of the maybe earth maybe it's direct to hell it could be know. direct line to hell yeah anyway so dave is um exploring on the bare floor of the cavern there was nothing to see but his light in the black and the white rope that he dragged with him why fucking bother just have a lovely cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> just stay up, stay up, lads. Stay just... up. Go and like. There's some lovely views in the world. Just go, go to a park. They're just... in like South Africa, which is gorgeous, right? Yeah, go up Table Mountain or whatever it's called. Come on, boys, up, not down, and and girls. There's nothing to see until oh, no. his torch oh, no. <laughs> caught the remains of Deandre. Oh, no. I mean, it was inevitable. Well, it, well, was it? It's like it's quite massive. People have been looking for. It's been ten years. It's been 10 years Christ. and people have been going down. Not loads of people, but... Mm. Anyway, so he was still in his wetsuit, still wearing his cylinders, merely a collection of bones inside a wetsuit. Oh, my God. So this is massive because I guess any diver that goes down there knows that there's a the potential that they could find him. And as I said, for this community, it's like dying in the line of duty. If you dive down there, it's like a real honour thing to like make sure if, if you then go after them, you want to kind of collect them and, and take them back mm. home or whatever. Mm. So Dave, our friend Dave Shaw, tries to move the body, but the body was stuck in the silt. It's been there for 10 years and he was panting. So like... He the, needed to worry yeah, about you himself. You need to fucking stop straining and just get out. So he's like, fine. Um, he was like, I need to leave the body here and we need to go back up to him and his pal, um, Don. Go back up. But he made it his mission to come back and recover the body and he phoned um, Jai's parents and said, I'm going to... I've found your boy. I'm going to go and get him. I know, sorry. Um, So, but because it's such a massive operation and all of these risks, basically it took them quite a few months. He couldn't just pop back the next day. Like, you have to really, really plan it. So it took Mm. them quite a few months. So in January 2005, um, Dave and Don again... um, went down to Bushman's Cave early in the morning. It was still dark. The sun wasn't quite up. And at 6.15 in the morning in January 2005, Dave went under the water. Um, And Don and a a number of other team members basically followed him down. So Dave, the way that it works, it's incredibly complicated cave diving. So the way that it worked was that Dave was going to go all the way down, all 900 feet, and as part of the support, because obviously you have to do it incredibly slowly and it's incredibly dangerous. And as part of the support, you would have different people kind of assigned to go and like almost visit him at different depths. So you'd have people checking on him at like 100, 200, 300 feet and then going back up. So it wasn't the same two people going all 900 and all the way back yeah. up again. People were kind of checking in on him. Mm. Smart. 
At this point, I want to give a shout out to the podcast Snap Judgment because they did an episode with this guy, Don Shirley, that was on this dive. And it was so well told and so vivid that I thought I had watched a TV programme about it. Really? Yeah, because when we were talking, when I thought, I'm going to do this story, I was like, yeah, there was like a some kind of documentary about it. Well, no, you said, I've got a story about and I thought it was a personal story. I thought you knew mm. someone. Oh, no, no. The way that you said it, yeah. <clears throat> All right, yes. But I thought I'd... I, I was so convinced, and then I was like, oh, fucking hell, that was a podcast. <laughs> it told it so well. Hey, the power of podcasts. So it's a 2014 episode of Snap Judgment called Where No One Should Go. So first of all, that is Don Shirley's story. So this is the guy that is on the dive with Dave. Okay. So I'm not going to go too much into Don's story. You can go and listen to it yourself, and it is incredible. I will. But long story short, for these purposes, Don was supporting Dave. So he's down, he's sort of gone down the rope about 15 minutes after Dave has. Um, and he says that he spotted at about, at, you know, some some decent depth in, about halfway down, he realised that Dave, who was further below than him, who was the guy on a mission to get um, Drea's body, he noticed that he was probably in some trouble because... There were no air bubbles coming up the line and Dave's light further down below him was completely still oh, and wasn't moving. So he was like, okay, something's happening. Something's taking longer than it should be. However, at 800 foot, which is, you know... Close to uh, the bottom. Close to the bottom, although it's still 100 feet. Like, it's still very far. Mm. Anyway, at 800 feet, Don got into his own trouble, listened to the Snap Judgment episode. I won't go into that. But he got into his own trouble that meant that he couldn't keep going down and see how Dave was doing. Fuck he yeah. had to go back up. But even then, so he's in trouble, it still takes 10 hours. No, Fucking no. hell! 10 hours! You can't go up too fast. Shit. He knows he's in the water for 10 hours minimum to get oh back up to the water. Oh my gosh. What to the, the surface, fuck? to the air. Yeah. It's m- fucking crazy. <gasps> this snap judgment seriously is good. So so Don's like, well, I couldn't, he's in trouble, but I can't do anything about it. So he slowly takes himself up for 10 hours, gets to the top. The rest of the team wait and wait and wait and wait. Dave never comes back. Is oh. there no one after Don, though? Like, if No, so he, I think he must have been... Oh, I, I can't quite work it out because he was only 15 minutes later, but I don't, basically no one was going... There's no one sort of above... Don that could have gone in that further. chain. Maybe yeah. there, I don't know how many of them there were, but whatever the whatever the setup was, no one was going further, and no one was supposed. To, so, when you're doing that again for safety, you only go down to the depth that you're allowed and prescribed and strategized to go to. You can't go down further because, God knows what will happen. Basically, so they waited and waited and waited, and he never surfaced. Now. This is the real kicker. Three days later, both bodies floated up to the surface. What? Oh my god! The cave. To the puddle. To the puddle. Well, or to the bit of the cave that you can access from the puddle. Fucking hell! So both Dave and Dion, both dead, floated to the top of the surface. That's nuts. Yeah, and so Dave. Um, so Dave had. A camera on him when he went down so there is footage and they were basically able to work out what had happened and this is what happened so Dave Shaw had run into difficulties he did get to Dion's body obviously he ran into difficulties when he cut loose Dreya's harness and the body unexpectedly began to float so Dave had been advised by various experts that the body would remain um, negatively buoyant so wouldn't float um, because basically it was just a skeleton however Within his wetsuit, Dryer's corpse had turned into a soap-like substance called adipocere, which floats. Oh, God. Which is basically like the fats in a human body if they um, undergo anaerobic... Again. Yeah, again, fight club shit. <laughs> if they undergo anaerobic bacterial hydrosis, <clears throat> um, they kind of turn into this like waxy, soap-like substance. Christ. So, um, so suddenly it starts floating. So, so- Dave's like, oh, shit. And the Gone. experts didn't know that. Well, no, because it because I think it's probably unprecedented. To yeah, be fair. I mean, who? How do you know? Like this kind of thing never happens before. Someone's been nine hundred feet underwater. 
it so looks they... like a skeleton because I guess his helmet was off, so maybe the top bit looked like a skeleton. But don't but what, bones was... float. <clears throat> we had the not, story not a couple to the of extent of not like ago. this. Like this would have been like like a like a oh like a float. Fine. Oh fine. But that what that was the first ever instance of someone's body doing that underwater. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Because otherwise you think they would not. Yeah. I guess it just well, like I said, like most divers, if they dive at depths, if they sorry, if they die at depths, their bodies can be rescued fairly quickly. So maybe that never happens. Yeah, because yeah, he been was there down there for ten years. Yeah. So I suppose you wouldn't necessarily have a similar scenario where that happened, and you would have that chain of events scientifically. Yeah. yeah. Um. So anyway, the the video footage showed that Shaw had been working with both hands, um, and so had been resting his candlelight on the cave floor, which is why Don saw it not moving because um, he was suddenly like uh, so even if he'd gone down there yeah I mean he wouldn't necessarily been able to help I don't I don't know but but because they both would have yeah but I mean at this point like I said Don's in his own trouble yeah I mean literally things were like cracking and helium bubbles were appearing in his ears and all of this shit. Oh like he God. was fucked and then he was like spinning constantly like he was Don was really really fucked he couldn't go in and help Fuck. Um, So the powerful underwater lights that cave divers use are connected by wires to heavy battery canisters normally worn on the cave diver's waist or sometimes attached to their tanks. Normally Dave would have wrapped the wire behind his neck but he was unable to do so. The lines from the... Oh, so he'd taken like a body bag down to collect Adrea's um, body. Um, The lines from the body bag appear to have become entangled with the light hedge and the physical effort of trying to free himself led to his death. Oh, God. Fuck. Yeah, so yeah, I told you it was a bit of. <laughs> I told you it was a this bit of a be downer. The only uh, story so far that's nearly brought me to tears. Oh, I felt really close to crying. But listen, ago. Dave ultimately achieved what he wanted to do. He yeah. had promised to bring to bring back Dryer's yeah. body, and he did. They both floated to the surface. Try and take some solace in that, and that kind of like long-standing cave diver community. Dreya's body had never been recovered. Like he did that for them, um, and he did it for Dreya's parents. Yeah. Um, listen to that episode of Snap Judgment. It's so good. Oh my god. Oh, sorry. Story, sorry. Mate. That's it. That was a really fascinating story. Yeah, right? really, really interesting. Oh, like, sorry. Massive bummer. But like, down. isn't it amazing? What an amazing story. Yeah, it's and crazy. like. I honestly thought I'd watched it, <laughs> like the way that it well, like you, it's really visual. Yeah. It's a really visual really concept. Visual. Yeah. Oh God, I just don't. I can't understand the motivation for it, but just pro- I guess it's just proper thrill seeking, isn't it? I suppose it, but I just don't don't know what thrills you're seeking. Yeah, but like you know, when people go up to, oh, mind you, Everest has views. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Too cold to care about the views at that point, though, aren't you? Yeah, and you're like giddy with yeah bloody. Altitude sickness or whatever. Yeah. Did you hear about that story? <clears throat> um, I was tempted to do it on the show, but I won't. But it was basically like a cryptocurrency company that, for the listeners of the podcast, I'm using quotation marks, but buried cryptocurrency at the top of Everest or like halfway up what? Everest. No way. Um, and the idea was like only only the best can deserve it. So you had to like scale Everest. Or maybe it wasn't Everest, maybe it was like a mountain in general, but something only that where you have it. like guides and things like that um, and you can only get it blah, 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 blah. And one of the guides died Fuck. on the way back and it was this, it was part of this, they were only, they were the guides for this specific um what's the word I'm looking for? Scale. And um, they really distance themselves from it happening and saying, oh, they were with another group, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, Ooh. your stupid PR stunt yeah, led really to the death of an experienced climber yeah. and you distance yourself from it yeah. all because you want to fucking sell some cryptocurrency. Disgusting. Absolutely oh, disgusting. Yeah. It's, really it's like this year, like a couple of months ago. Really? Yeah, really horrible. Dicks. But yeah, like, if I'm not a qualified diver or a mountaineer, I'm not going to go doing that for kicks. Like, you have to respect yeah. how much people train for stuff like that. Oh, yeah, completely. Yeah, you have to really know what you're doing. It's ridiculous. And be ready for it. Wow. Good story, though. Honestly, I was, like, Enraptured. Yeah, that was a really good story. 
I nearly cried. Thanks, man. Yeah, sorry. I, as I was writing, I was like, oh, I love this story. This is incredible. And then as I was writing, I was like, fucking hell. <laughs> this is really... This is rough. This is rough. <laughs> I hope that we can honour DeAndrea and Dave Shaw mm. by telling their story. Mm. Braver than we ever yeah, I mean, will be. Yeah, the, yeah. Fucking, the fucking nads on that page, you know what I mean? But like, even for him to go and try and save the guy, like once he found the body... There's no reason why he couldn't have just been like, I found the body, it's down there. Like, mm. I know that he's definitely there. That's yeah, closure exactly. itself. He felt like, like he needed to Him go going above and beyond to try and rescue that body is such a, I mean, lovely is not the right word, but such a... Honourable. Honourable, mm. worthy yeah. thing to mm. do. Knowing always, obviously when they dive anyway, it could result in their death, but mm. knowing that specifically could result in his death. Mm. It's such an admirable... And like we said, I can't remember what podcast it was, but what episode, sorry. What, um, Like... The reason we're on Earth is to do something with our lives and to, you know, pay it forward. Mm. And I feel like that's a really, really good example of paying it forward. Like your your life means something. Your mm. death means something. Mm-hmm. And him For trying, having done that. Yeah, yeah, and him trying to save him and then doing exactly what he set out to do is kind of bittersweet, bittersweet. really. Um, so I, there is a quote from DeAndrea um, according to the Wikipedia article. So two weeks before the expedition, Dion's grandfather passed away and sitting around a barbecue with his family one night, Dion spoke with boyish hubris. Is that how you say it? Hubris, yeah. Hubris. His dad said, he said if he had a choice of how to go out in life, he'd like to go out diving. Oh, well. Okay. But, you know, 19 is too young. Yeah, it's no age. There we go. I need a big lie down. Yeah, Sorry. Do you want a whiskey? Should we go for a whiskey after Yeah. This? Maybe. Shall we? Should we go for a whiskey? Yeah, I love right, whiskey. Can I just have like a gin? No, Is that no! Right? <laughs> we will go for whiskey. Damn it. Should we like shake it out? Just shake it out. Shake it, shake it off. Oh, God. Don't shake the mic. Okay, well, we, um, we like to end the episodes of podcasts with a lighter note. It's been a specific... Bad time so far with those bummer stories. We apologise. We're really sorry. Sorry, sorry. Um, But we we talk about our girl crushes. So we just like talking about females that we're admiring at the moment, people that we've seen on TV that we like the look of, people that are inspiring us to do something, someone that's doing something good for change. It doesn't matter how shallow or how important it is. We just talk about females that are important to us this week. Um, So Elsa's going to start with hers. Okay. I listened to the new album by Lily Allen. I just think it's, I really enjoyed it. It's a good album. And I know she gets quite a lot of shit in the um, in the press, I think. And she's quite good at standing up for herself. Although sometimes she can contradict herself a bit. But um, she also tweeted something quite, f- not funny, but essentially a few weeks ago, I think, some twat on Twitter did you see this? Mm. Oh, like her, the picture of her the vagina, vagina, basically, yeah, yeah. And then she just retweeted it and was like, I've had three kids, I just whatever. love the fact that she said three kids as well, though. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah, like, sorry, I'm not going to jump in. No, you, no, but no, like, that's I, fine. I think Lily Allen's divisive. Yeah. But I think that she's honest, she stands up for what she believes in. I yeah. Mean, today that we're recording, obviously not the day that it goes out, is the year anniversary of Grenfell. Yeah. She was there when it was burning. She's done nothing mm. but try and get justice for the victims I think like yeah she's divisive and sometimes she says things wrong and she was a bit problematic with her not fair album because of the the video yeah but yeah I don't think she's a bad person in the I think she's got very good intentions and I think she's got a lot more I think she's quite a complex person as well yeah yeah did she have sex with 90s Liam Gallagher though well if she did then (laughs) go Lily (laughs) Sorry, Nicole Appleton. <laughs> yeah, sorry, so, yeah. Sorry, Nicole, yeah. Anyway, so I, yeah, and then she was like, no shame with that tweet, which was kind of promoting her album, but like, fuck it. If someone no, puts yeah. a picture of your vagina on Twitter, then take that over. And also yeah. highlighting the abuse that women on Twitter get on yeah, a regular 100%. basis. I had a look at that, and then I just was looking at some of the like comments that had been tweeted back to this twat that did it in the first place, and it is horrific. Like, the shit that you have to put up with if you are just someone on Twitter with an opinion. Sorry, a woman. Mm. It's just bullshit. Um, But like, yeah, I know her music might not be everyone's cup of tea, but I think her new album's pretty good. And um, yeah. I haven't listened to it yet, no, actually. No, nor have I. I, read I, I feel like she's had, music-wise, a bit of a drought of good She stuff. did 
she yeah she has but this album's had quite a lot of um good it's reviews very raw apparently i heard a bit of the one about um i think it must be the breakup between her and her husband apples Apple is it Apple something? There's quite a few there yeah. about that, but yeah, I just like I I've I've listened to it quite a lot. I just like it is a good, a good one. That's a good shout. That's a good shout. Yeah, nice. I like it a lot. Mine's much shallower than that. Mine's Samira Wiley. I've just started watching the new series of The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, Poussey in Orange is the yeah, New Black. So oh, God, fuck, yeah, she's I fucking so her. great. Yeah, oh, I love second, I, was like, I don't know what, I was like, why do I know Love name? Island. <laughs> oh, I don't know that reference, Daily, I'm a sorry. There's a girl called Samira in Love Island. Um, yeah, so she plays Poussey in, or she played Poussey in um, oh, Orange is the New R. Black. I didn't know she was in The Hammer's Tale. I haven't yeah. watched it yet. She was Poussey in um, a couple of series of Orange is the New Black and then... Yeah, spoiler, but it's been a couple of years. She dies. I actually haven't seen that series because I gave up That's on really it beforehand. But I'm really tempted to go and watch it, but I know that episode will fucking kill me. Mate, when, on that episode, no lie, I cry. I sobbed yeah, for yeah. like two hours. I think I did. Fucking hell. Which I just think, heavy. that's the thing, like it will, it yeah. will really upset me. But it's me. great. It's yeah. Like, it's like But I loved her, I yeah, loved her in that. She's she, So she plays Moira in The Handmaid's Tale, which is... Um, Offred, so the main protagonist's best friend before it all happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and she kind of plays like, I don't know how to describe it, like a tough girl, like she fights it. You know, we've spoken about like if the resistance comes, etc., etc. And I think Offred, the girl, um, Elizabeth Moss, who plays June, fuck, I couldn't remember her name. June Offred, what we want to call her. I think she's brilliant. I love Elizabeth Moss. I think she's a really good actress. But Samira's just got a really lovely way of playing that character. Mm-hmm. And I can't give a spoiler because you're obviously not up to date. Mm. But stuff <laughs> happens at the end of the first series. And obviously there's so many flashbacks. But I feel like she's just the perfect example of a best friend. Someone that you're like really close to but a little bit different to. And I just think she's wicked. Also, I love her and her wife. They're such a fucking gorgeous mm, couple. Yeah. I follow her on Instagram. I had to unfollow quite a lot of the people that are in the Handmaid's Tale because they do post spoilers, but Samira barely posts anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> but her and her wife, who she got with, because her wife was married to a man when she was doing Orange is the New Black, Orange is the New Black mm, and then they got together. Yeah. But like they're fit as fuck together. I just think she's wicked. Yeah, I just really like her. And I feel like Moira's my favourite character in the Handmaid's Tale, even though I love June, mm-hmm. because I feel like Moira, she's like really like angsty and antagonistic and spunky but she's got a real softness to her that you don't really see very often but you do in a couple of episodes and I just yeah I just I just really like her character and I really like her Samira she's she's a cool man I think Poussey was probably my favourite character she was character definitely my favourite character Orange is the New yeah Black. her and Tasty she's were so my favourite oh yeah, and Tasty yeah. yeah they're such a good yeah. duo together yeah, they really that's are. what I really like yeah. I love their like in the library together I love their yeah and her I mean, you've not seen that one, but I guess uh, Tasty's kind of reaction. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen that. Anyway. I, nearly, I nearly did Elizabeth Moss. Did you? <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Do it. Um, Are you watching the new series? Yeah, but I'm only, like, two in. Yeah, we're two yeah. in. Um, I'm going to go for my MP instead of Crazy. Oh, that's nice. not low. You're um, lucky that you Yeah, she's fucking good, right? MP. Like, yeah, she's um, obviously Labour. Um, she's the MP <laughs> for Orthamstow. And... I mean, I've always, I've always, why not? But I, I wouldn't say I've always given a fuck about politics. Before I was probably fourteen, I didn't really care or know anything about it. Um, but to have an MP that you legitimately think stands for everything that you do, mm. um, and you can vote for them with full confidence that it, they are literally, you know, they're they're supposed to be your representative in in Parliament, and I feel like. Yeah, I could more or less get on board with everything that she does. Mm-hmm. And then she recently spearheaded the kind of um, campaign to have the abortion rights recognised in Northern Ireland as well. Yeah. Um, showing my ignorance, I don't know what that's what stage that is at now, but she was certainly... Didn't she... it get overturned by the Human Rights Court? I don't know. I think it did, because it was like last week or the week before. Yeah, it was very recently. I've been very busy. <laughs> no, that's awful. You have that's a very worthy excuse. job daily. You're always yeah, excused. You are, yeah. Um, so yeah, just uh, Stella, and I think she's got a very good pres- presence online. I think she handles Twitter trolls really well. Um, 
I saw her once on the high street and I was like, I for a second I was like, oh, that's someone, that's like a celebrity I know. And I was like, oh yeah, it's my MP. But oh, it's, it's my politician, MP. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I really like her. So my girl crush is still a crazy this week. Oh, and also mm. Jager Wise because oh, yeah. she's been like back in our back up in our grill. I'm, yeah. I'm sure she hasn't listened to the to the episode, but um, she liked something. I was very confused by that whole Twitter exchange. Yeah. So basically. A friend of the podcast, Sam Knives, Sam Knives, Sam Knives. <laughs> had uh, alerted someone who worked for some chemistry association. Well, no, I think Sam, Sam tweeted about us. Publication. Sam yes. tweeted about Paul Nichols and his missing kneecap. Yeah. Are they pals though, Sam? And, well, yeah. I, th- I guess, man. or at least this chemistry man follows Sam. <laughs> we we sound like old people talking about the social <laughs> medias. I think someone saw the tweet <laughs> so, so, and someone liked it. So Are chemistry they friends man? in real life. <laughs> Do they have tea? <laughs> so, so chemistry man said, "Oh, I'm enjoying this podcast. Also, particularly nice to get to hear about Jager Wise, yeah, because they had interviewed her for the um, chemistry thing, yeah, the website. Yeah, yeah. Jager Wise was liking shit all over the place. Anyway, uh, listeners, <laughs> we're going to go and have fun drinking together, yeah. and um, we'll see you next week. We love you loads, Lysm. Ly, love you so much. Love you so much. Um, we're on nice." Instagram oh, yeah. and Twitter at What Away Pod. Uh, we post about our episodes and some things, and we try and tweet, but um, we're not very good at it. So no. please engage with us because if you are good at Twitter and you want to give us a lesson, <laughs> do let us know. If you want to talk to us about how we can be better in general publicists about <laughs> ourselves, hit us up. And then um, yeah, we're, we're compiling some ideas about real people stories we've got mm. some people on our list um but if you've got a really interesting near miss story or if you've got a near miss story about someone else um that you can credibly tell or even if you've got a suggestion for someone that we should cover ourselves just get in touch whatawaypod at gmail.com we check it every day we get loads of emails but you know we check it every day it's anyway. an avalanche of emails yeah it really it's is too much too many to keep too up with but just add yours to the pile it's fine Um, And we'll see you next week in episode 12. See you in episode 12. (laughs) See you in episode 12. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye.